The dust begins to settle. House Speaker Glenn Cassida announces his resignation date, and Republicans prepare for their annual fundraiser. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of June 10th. I'm Joel Ebert. I'm Natalie Allison. All right. So we are going to, basically, this podcast is going to be a whole uh, interview with Michael Sullivan of the Tennessee Republican Party. But before we get to that, we want to do a quick recap of some of the uh, main news stories that Natalie and I and others have worked on for the week. Uh, Natalie, kick us off with your latest on uh, the embattled lawmaker, David Byrd. David Byrd, if you haven't listened to the podcast or you haven't read any of our stories, is a state representative from Waynesboro who has been accused by three women of sexually assaulting them when they were teenagers in the 1980s. He was their high school basketball coach and teacher. Um, they, they came forward with this last year. facing He faced calls at the time from then-Speaker House Speaker Beth Harwell and and Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally to resign. Uh, he was reelected this fall, but the the controversy continued this session as protesters showed up every week, um, calling on him to resign, protesting that he was the chairman of an education subcommittee, uh, which he was eventually removed from, um, and and now it. it has come to light through the story we put out last week that David Byrd still has an active teaching license. So um, he he is, of course, accused by these women of, of sexually assaulting them when they were 15 and 16 years old. Um, they did not report it to law enforcement at the time. The statute of limitations has now passed. Um, but David Byrd's license has never been reviewed by the State Board of Education. Um, so so we had a story on that. And we, we heard from the chairman of both the House and Senate education committees that they think this is a problem um, and that that someone in his position should not have an active license to teach. What did the state board or anybody else say about the matter? Well, the state board said um, they were aware of the allegations against him, but they didn't have the resources to be um, an investigative agency, that they rely on complaints or tips filed from school districts, from um, the Department of Children's Services, and from law enforcement. And outside of uh, receiving a a complaint that way, that it is, um, I think they said it was extremely difficult to to handle a case like this um, through the state board without one of those groups reaching out to them. So, of course, that's the latest with the David Byrd saga, uh, apparently ongoing as usual. Uh, the one that is seemingly never ending is also House Speaker Len Cassida, who announced uh, this last week his resignation date would be August 2nd. Uh, he called for Governor Bill Lee to hold a special session uh, to be that same day when uh, the Speaker would resign. It doesn't sound like as of this recording and as of that announcement that Cassida uh, intends to resign from his legislature legislative seat that has led to some consternation from uh, many within the chamber as well as constituents. So we will continue to follow that. And there was some question about whether him resigning a speaker on his 60th birthday had any significance with with his retirement or his pension. We did look into that. Um, And as far as we can tell, no, there really is no difference in what his eventual retirement benefit package will be um, if he resigns from speaker at 60, as opposed to him resigning now at 59. Another story, if you haven't uh, seen this week, 
was one that I did on Micah Van Husses, uh, uh, an East Tennessee Republican lawmaker. He did an office renovation uh, early on in the year. Uh, mind you, this is one year into newly uh, uh, renovated offices by the legislature paid for by taxpayers. Uh, Van Huss wanted to essentially expand his uh, legislative office, uh, what is now being uh, referred to by some as sort of a mega office. Uh, and there were uh, questions about whether he is sleeping in there. Uh, we asked uh, him and he declined to respond to that question. Or let uh, you go in and see. Yeah. The, so far, uh, we have not been allowed in. We also asked the speaker's office if they would allow us in. They politely declined. Uh, the speaker's office did approve this uh, $8,300 taxpayer funded renovation of this one-year-old building. In other news this past week, Vanderbilt University put out its most recent poll. It found that a vast majority of Tennessee voters think that House Speaker Glenn Cassida should leave the legislature altogether. Uh, 63% of voters, and this is across party lines, they say, believe that Cassida should resign altogether from the state house after uh, it was found that he was exchanging sexually explicit text messages with his chief of staff. And then quickly, we're trying to continue to watch the race to succeed House Speaker Glenn Cassida. Uh, another name jumped in the race this week officially. Uh, who is that, Natalie? Representative Curtis Johnson. He had run against Cassida along with Representative David Hawk um, this fall in the caucus election for who would become the Republican nominee for speaker. Uh, he was unsuccessful then. He branded himself at the time as a candidate who would um, avoid scandal and avoid division within the caucus. Um, and that is essentially the same message he is pitching now as he says that he is in the running for speaker. This week on the podcast, we have with us Michael Sullivan. He is the executive director of the Tennessee Republican Party. Michael, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We wanted to, to bring you on ahead of this weekend's Statesman's Dinner. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that dinner is and who it's featuring this year. Yeah, so the Statesman's Dinner is our largest fundraiser uh, event of the year. Uh, normally it draws uh, anywhere from when we had Vice President Mike Pence, 2,000 people to, you know, a year like this year where it's an off election year and we have about 1,200 people. So um, there's certainly um, probably the largest gathering of Republicans in the state. Uh, we have the uh, NRSC chairman and Indiana Senator Todd Young is our guest this year. So it should be pretty exciting considering the fact that the majority of the Senate seats in the, across this country up are Republican defenses. This year uh, is a little bit different as we were talking on the way up here. Um, there's no major race on the ballot, in, at least in 2019. Mm -hmm. Of course, there is uh, several next year between the presidential race, the U.S. Senate race. How does that sort of change the dynamic of a uh, fundraising, the, the biggest fundraiser that you guys have? Yeah, certainly, like I said, you know, not only the biggest fundraiser, but the largest gathering of Republicans in the state. So uh, in 2018, you had a lot of folks wanting to show that they had a significant amount of grassroots support and donor support. And so the campaigns uh, bought a lot of tickets, which is always great. Um, so obviously, we lose that a little bit this year with no major races on the ballot. But you still have a, you know, a strong base of support, whether from you know, our, our donor class or our grassroots uh, organizations, where you can still get 1,100, 1,200 people into the room. Uh, and that's a pretty significant 
dinner. This one might compare in a way to the 17 uh, statesmen's dinner in that at that point, I believe several of the candidates who eventually ran for governor hadn't actually announced, but they were there, right? Mm -hmm. So this one, you might see the same thing, but with the U.S. Senate race. Yeah, it's always fun actually just to see uh, today's, this this week is as we're starting to get all of the finalized table names. Mm-hmm. So you have folks that, you know, sponsor tables and then seeing who's at their tables. <laughs> uh, it's always fun. And so it'll be fun to see uh, come Saturday evening, you know, who's sitting at whose table. Uh, a little insight on that one. I hear that uh, Ward Baker is going to be with uh, Marsha Blackburn, uh, Lamar Alexander, Bill Haslam, and others at that table. So yeah, that'll so be a, interesting a real, table yeah, you got a real power table there. <laughs> yeah. at the, the And, you know, we'll make sure they're front and center, of course. So who gets decide? <laughs> the table positioning in the room like who gets what table uh you know that's you know yeah exactly uh you know we obviously you know based on if we have various sponsorship levels and the highest sponsorship levels we make sure are uh in prime locations uh but at the end of the day uh it's uh candace uh, heather and i sitting in a uh, office with a giant uh um build out of the room marking down who's at what table so uh feel free to send candace and i lunch uh this week or whatever to the office if you're making sure trying to make sure you get a good table placement so if anyone feels snubbed they can take it up with you guys yeah exactly Um, in the past, there are sort of these video tributes to some folks. Uh, will there be one for Lamar Alexander this year, uh, well, given you know, his announcement? Or is that, you think, maybe next year? Uh, next year will certainly be a tribute towards uh, to Senator Alexander and his service to the state for years. Uh, this year, actually, uh, you know, periodically, we, we uh, give the Howard Baker Award. In 2017, uh, it was, you know, it's this award that's a, you know, somewhat lifetime achievement award to uh, a lifetime of supporting and, and um, dedicated to the Republican Party, and we gave that to Governor Dunn in 2017. Uh, this year, we're actually awarding it to Senator Bill Brock, uh, and so we'll certainly be a, a tribute to to him. And uh, for a lot of folks, you know, Bill uh, was one of the first Republican senators elected after Howard Baker. He was a former; he was the chairman of the Republican National Committee when Ronald Reagan was elected president. So, certainly played a major role in, mm-hmm. in shaping the uh, Republican Party. Uh, since, especially in Tennessee, since the the sixties and seventies. So we wanted to, to touch on. Obviously, I, you probably can't go into too much detail, but uh, on the U.S. Senate race, uh, we have one candidate in Manny Sethi, at least on the Republican side. Uh, several others uh, mulling it, including former Governor Haslam. Uh, from what I understand, maybe uh, Representative or Congressman uh, Mark Green. How do you look at it, and and what are your expectations of comparing 2018's race to the 2020 race? I mean, there was a lot of money spent. There were two big names at the top of the ticket for both parties. Um, right now, it looks like it's James Mackler on the Democratic side, and possibly you know some serious names on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, kind of joked about there who's sitting at whose tables yeah. for the dinner, and that'll certainly be something everyone's kind of looking at of you know where some of these names that have been rumored are are sitting. And um, and so how it compares, though, the, the general election, I think it'll be very different. Um, you know, James Mackler, he got in the race in 2018 and then then stepped aside for uh, Governor Bredesen to run. And uh, going to 2020, you know, his fundraising numbers have not been strong. I think he, his first report, he had somewhere around 170, but his, his cash on hand was closer to 80, which is a pretty high burn rate. Um, so 
you know, that, that there's a little bit of anemia there for his fundraising. And like I said, you know, with having Senator Todd Young as our, our keynote, um, we have a lot of Republican defenses up in 2020. And Tennessee isn't really high on the list as, as far as vulnerable states go. Uh, when you look at um, how it was a top-tier race in 18 with Governor Bredesen being a former very popular governor when he left office, having some substantial uh, personal wealth, being able to fund a little bit of his own race. Uh, and I think he, the, thing, the final number was somewhere around $9 million that he put in himself. Uh, that's something Mackler can't do. Uh, uh, more than that, $19 million. <coughs> We just looked it up. Nineteen $19 million was, was the final amount that, <laughs> yeah. that, that Governor Bredesen put in himself. Yeah. And, and Marsha Blackburn, $16 million. So, I mean, uh, that's, that's a huge amount for mm-hmm. just the candidates. Yeah. And so with that, you consider, you know, I, I think, you know, looking at that um, and the, the popularity of um, some of the potential candidates out there and just the Republican Party as a whole, uh, it, it's really hard to see that 2020 would be comparable to 2018 as far as the competitiveness. I think, you'll, you know, and I think some voters will be happy to know that there'll be less outside group ads mm-hmm. being, being played on TV in 2020. Do you have any any prediction for what the total will be for the twenty twenty race spending? The total uh, in eighteen was ninety three million, and that includes the candidates and outside groups fifty seven point nine by outside groups. I mean, I'd be surprised to see it go over. You know, with considering outside, so I, some of it too depends on the primary. Do we ha- end up having right. a real competitive primary? Right. And so, I, I mean, assuming that you know, it's a uh, a friendly primary that probably won't rival the the amount of money spent in the gov primary in, in 2018. Uh, I mean, somewhere 20 million is probably a, cl- a hmm. more accurate number compared to that 93. It's, that's a that's a big chunk of change. That's what you'll see in a top tier race. I'm sure Tennesseans would be very happy to not have their mailboxes and and constantly seeing TV ads all the time. It seemed like towards the end of the uh, 18 race, it was just every 30 seconds you see a new mm-hmm. ad on TV. So we'll circle back with you in December 2020 to uh, see <laughs> yeah. how well you, you guessed. <laughs> Um, we, you and I spoke a couple weeks ago about what's going on right now at the, the state house with Glenn Cassida and and what effect this this whole scandal has or hasn't had on the state party. Um, I think since then we've gotten his his resignation date. Uh, it's August second. He has said he wants the governor to call a special session. Uh, you have some people in leadership saying yes, let's do that. You have other members saying that isn't necessary. Um, what do you guys make of all of this? Do you think a special session would be a good idea? You know, it's hard. It's hard to say, especially because I think you know a lot of the focus initially was what's the right path, and I think the right path was certainly the the caucus meeting and the vote of no having that vote of no confidence, uh, and we saw those results. And uh, after results came out, you know, the party sent out a statement and said, you know, heed the advice of your fellow le- legislators. It, it's time to step down. And you saw that you know the governor say, if I need be. I'll call a special session. So I think some of that, uh, those steps and that that process was the appropriate process uh, to take. But one thing that wasn't really examined or hasn't really been examined too much is um, the House rules and the the state constitution on what happens when he resigns and filling that uh, vacancy. And so I think a lot of it is, um, you know, the speaker pro tem immediately becomes the speaker. 
and until a election can be held. So uh, is it necessary to hold an, a special session and elect someone? Um, and I think that's something that's a conversation the governor certainly has to have with the leadership of the House of do we bring everyone in, do a special session, spend the money to elect somebody, or do we have the speaker pro tem, which House rule says handles this responsibility and, and moves forward? There's certainly, politically speaking, a lot of advantages to knowing Okay, if we come back in January, are we electing a new speaker? Is there speaker pro tem, you know, Bill Dunn? Is he going to be speaker um, or are we going to have someone completely new? So should that new person then have some responsibility over selecting committees and committee chairs um, and, you know, serving on the, the boards and commissions that the Speaker of the House serves on? Uh, and so I think that a lot of it's just got to be this conversation with House leadership and the governor of, look, here's what the speaker's role is going to be. Are we adding uncertainty to what the next legislative session looks like by waiting to hold an election until January you know, 15th or 10th or whenever they come in? Or do we just need to get it done now so that you know, we can have a successful legislative session without this uncertainty hanging overhead. So there's potentially uncertainty about what next session will look like uh, without a special session. Are you concerned at all that with a special session, there could be another hit on, um, you know, the the caucus's brand or it could become a bigger ordeal than it already is by dragging this out and bringing everyone back and having, you know, more news stories about this special session and, and even uncertainty about what could happen at the special session. Is that do you think that is a concern at all? You know, uh, not too much. I think uh, as far as when you talk about um, the the PR of the Republican Party, um, I think the contested part of all this will be the caucus meeting of who the caucus nominee is for speaker, uh, generally speaking. And, and, you know, years ago when we had the whole Kent Williams ordeal Mm -hmm. as uh, he was elected speaker siding with Republic or siding with Democrats, the the party put in place and um, that you have to support the caucus's nominee for speaker. So um, that'll really be, you know, where the, the, the competitive, the uncertainty, the, the jockeying will be is who will be the next House uh, Republican nominee for speaker. What sort of qualities do you think the the next speaker needs? Stability um, and experience. Knowing, I mean, when you really look at the day to day of the the House legislative session, I mean, you want someone who understands um, the importance of getting the legislation passed, how it gets passed, um, knowing what committees are important, um, what committee chairs can get the job done. Uh, I, I think that's that's crucial. Uh, to what the next speaker is. And, you know, one thing some folks don't like to talk about, but, you know, it's a reality of the next legislative session is it's before an election. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think there's always that that um, political aspect to the next session of um, who has primary opponents, who has general election opponents, who might be vulnerable and things like that. And so a speaker with that, um, you know, political intuition as well um, I think benefits the House as a whole and make sure that we have a smooth legislative session. We had been talking with some members about this and, and, you know, just ask, frankly, do you think there could be some losses because of the entire thing? There's a lot of people uh, in the State House with direct ties, whether financially, chairmanship, whatever, to Glenn Cassida. Uh, could you see, you know, some incumbents being challenged by new Republicans? Could you see uh, Democrats even winning some uh, Republican seats? Is what what 
would say you at this point? Well, I think it's not abnormal to have uh, a lot of members tied to the Speaker of the House. I mean, when you look at at, at Speaker Harwell, she was very supportive of a lot of candidates and uh, Republicans. Um, I think anytime you have a class of 26 freshmen uh, House members, uh, anyone's going to, many of them can be vulnerable to a primary opponent um, or a uh, a challenge from a Democrat, especially going into uh, a presidential year. So uh, it's hard to say. I think, I mean, absolutely, you know, you've got to be prepared for a Democrat effort um, to unseat some House members. Uh, again, presidential year, <clears throat> i interesting to see who the Democrats' nominee is, what kind of energy and enthusiasm they have behind them. I know, you know, we see it uh, via the, you know, social media of the De- Tennessee Democratic Party, Mary Mancini, and and uh, her staff are working hard to build a grassroots organization from the ground up. Something you know similar to what you know we, uh, the, as the party started doing a few years ago with our Red to the Roots operation of we've got these super majorities, but you know let's continue building this bench. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's get Republicans elected at the local level, organized at the local level. And you see the Democrats are starting to to uh, copy that in some sense of all right, we need to focus at, at the the very basics local level uh, after a you know double-digit loss in the Senate race with, you know, $93 million being spent. Um, And arguably their best candidate in years. Exactly. So, um, you know, as the Republican Party, yeah, we're certainly prepared for any challenges at the local level, you know, starting with um, the we, uh, property assessor races are up, and uh, I know it's on oh, everyone's man. radar. Oh, but man. you know, you got property <laughs> assessors up in 2020. Some some counties, you have your highway uh, road superintendent. So, wow. um, you know, uh, so they're not to be missed elections. Yeah. Exactly, sure. you'd be surprised. Check the, the you know, Tennessee.com. Yeah, exactly. Bring you the latest. You know, locally, the road superintendent. Those races, you know, oh, I'm sure there's some yeah. serious months. When, t- well, when you talk about you know roads that have potholes and <laughs> yeah, you know taking yeah. care of those are the things people. People care about exactly so um but you know we're, we're focused on on making sure we can be supportive of our republican nominees there and then moving forward to the house members as well so since the end of session uh most of the stories about the state house have all been written through the lens of mm-hmm. Casada and and what's next and what happened um i don't know that we have really written any stories about the general assembly since then that haven't mentioned the scandal because somehow it's it's all tying back to to what happened at the end of session has has this affected you guys's day-to-day operations your fundraising ability just how you're spending your time and energy right now not too much uh i mean statesman's dinner has always been a, a you know all hands on deck operations so you know knowing that it, when it was that you know post session that would be our, our main focus um, some things that we have rolled out recently, um, and actually, you know, we, we started rolling these out before some of these stories started to break, and that was, you know, we do the morning clips now. We do, uh, we were doing legislative roundups. We do congressional roundups. Um, we started to have a, a larger footprint uh, on social media with, hey, you know, this legislation was passed by this member, uh, and those things have been very good for uh, Republicans, um, elected officials across the state, and something that we'll continue to do. Uh, and, you know, July 1st is a uh, big date in the state of Tennessee, and that, that's when a lot of these new laws enact. Um, and it'll certainly, you know, be an opportunity for us to highlight, 
you know, here's some legislation that Republicans uh, sponsored this past session that are now taking effect as of July 1. And as well as, um, you know, we had the story uh, last week on Tennessee being the best state for small business growth. That's a great opportunity for us to highlight, you know, Republican policies and leadership have you know, built the foundation for a state where small businesses can grow and and be successful. So, uh, you know, summer months, a lot of times we see a lot of economic development news announcements. Uh, you know, those are opportunities as well for us to highlight, you know, jobs coming to the state of Tennessee because of us having no income tax, being a low tax state. Um, the Tennessee Promise and Reconnect have been tremendous for drawing um, economic growth to the state. So we'll continue to highlight those things. And, and, you know, and that's kind of, you know, there's also a catch with that. You know, when you pass great legislation like the Tennessee Promise and Reconnect, it happens once. The the reverberations of it happen for years, mm-hmm. but it's not but necessarily, you're not going to get a new day. story every yeah. single time. Uh, as we look to wrap up, just wanted to um, get a latest update on on sort of, I guess, this, this bomb scare at the Rutherford mm-hmm. County uh, uh, Republican Party office. Uh, for those that may have missed it, there was... Uh, it looked like a cardboard box with uh, a radio and and just a sheet of paper that said, "quote This is just a warning. Uh, there will be no others. There will be no unconstitutional gun control in this state, or there will be blood." Um, you told me about this. What, what, when did it happen? Friday? Yeah, it was Friday morning. Um, an individual uh, dropped a package off. Um, uh, I believe outside the offices of the Rutherford County GOP and uh, one of our. Um, uh, Rutherford County GOP members had, you know, opened it up. And I mean, I can't imagine opening up a package like that and seeing that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, it, you know, like there was, a, it looked like clay on the yeah, bottom something. as if it was like a plastic explosive. Yeah. And so, uh, it, I mean, very scary. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something that's every time you hear things like this, it, you know, there's always, an, whether it happened in, ten, I mean, in 2018, uh, the North Carolina GOP had one of their field offices burned down. Wasn't uh, there something in 16, too? In 16. Uh, uh, or was that somewhere else? In Virginia, in okay. 16, there was one of the field offices was shot at. Okay, that's right. Um, at, like, they got there, and there were bolt holes and window broken. Um, and so it's always in the back of your head, like, you know, there's there are crazy people out there that mm-hmm. will do things like this. and uh, On both sides of the aisle. Crazy yes. doesn't have limits on it, it, it does not. Uh, and I mean, based on, on that note, you know, it seems like it's somebody who's, you know, uh, very, very adamant about their Second Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, there's something to be said about being the party in power. You know, you can have that uh, threat from both sides of the aisle. Sure. So um, it certainly is, you know, uh Alarming. We immediately sent an email out to our executive committee members and our county chairman saying, be on the lookout. And it's something everyone, you know, is, is somewhat aware of that in the back of their head. So, But everyone's okay. The investigation's, mm-hmm. I assume, ongoing still. Yeah. Since it was hand-delivered, uh, ATF is, is handling okay. um, the investigation. Um, and, uh, you know, again, because it was hand-delivered, that's someone walking down the street or getting out of a car. And there's plenty of security cameras around the square in Rutherford County. So... Hopefully, you know, something uh, comes to light soon as to who this was and um, and authorities handle it. But, you know, kudos to the uh, Murfreesboro police as well. They were very quick to respond um, and make sure that the situation was clear and safe. Well, Michael, thank you again for coming on. Uh, good luck uh, at the Statesman's Dinner. The next week is uh, the Democrats' dinner, so we'll see how they fare compared to you guys. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you. 
That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As usual, you can find us on Tuesdays on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. We've got uh, somewhere above 50 right now, and it really helps us uh, tell our bosses we should stay employed here. Uh, And as, as always, this podcast is produced by Erica Whitney and John Garcia. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week. 